chapter 12, as we really won't be, I don't guess we've covered any of 1 Corinthians very quickly, and uh, chapter 12 will be no exception, uh, but uh, we are making our way through it, and we'll cover some ground today uh, as we deal with, uh, as we've entitled it, We Need Each Other. Deal with the uh, what it is to be in a local church and have members, um, and then uh, one other way we could say this is that it is to be uh, not inter or it is to be interdependence, not independence. And we'll try to speak about that today: how we need one another and how we relate to each other. All, of course, in the greater context of exercising our gifts is how we help each other in the local church, and uh, one of the aspects of the local church anyway, but last time we saw that the church's head is Christ, and that each member is a member of his body, there is there to serve the head and to do so in union, union me, unison with the rest of the body, and gifts are a big part of that process. Uh, we also saw that when we are converted, Verse 13, Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something that comes upon us after we're converted sometime. When we decide to dedicate our lives fully to Christ, or if we pray hard enough that we will get this second blessing, uh, no Christian can function without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that is something that comes upon us, Jesus promised, to baptize with the Holy Spirit that began at Pentecost and continues on. Every time someone was converted in Acts, uh, they made it a point that there were witnesses to see evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so the baptism is not something that might be uh, or uh, something that will happen later on, but it is part and parcel with uh, one's spiritual life. Without it, we have no spiritual life. And uh, you know, we saw with Jesus, uh, in, well, in the Old Testament, remember there were three types of people that were uh, anointed. There was the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And when God chose one of them, he would they would be anointed. That was a sign that they were uh, sent by God with his blessings to serve. And, of course, all those things were types of what ultimately was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And at his baptism, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. That was his pub, the, God's public announcement that this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Uh, he is being sent out officially now to do the work of the Messiah. His anointing then was the beginning of that. And so as Christians, we too have part of this. We are anointed when God saves us. And we are anointed as prophet, priest, and king in a sense, right? We are anointed as those who are to proclaim God's word. We are all priests before God. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. And we reign with him. And so all those things are true of us as well. Not some Christians, but all Christians. And so that brings us then to verse 14 today in 1 Corinthians 12. As we've spoke at length. On the fact that all saints are baptized in the spirit and are part of the body of Christ. And so therefore we have a new identity and are to understand understand ourselves in that light. As we continue in this passage, we want to see how all this is worked out in the 
uh, members in the body, especially how this is worked out in members who have different gifts, who are different by nature often, and how that we can, uh, when we keep focused on Christ and that he's the head, I'm not here to be served necessarily. I am here to serve Christ, and in and I do that by serving others, but it's all for his glory. We learn how to function as a body, which is what we are it's supposed to do. We, we are here to glorify the head. Now, when we read verse 14, it says, For the body does not consist of one member but many. Now, there's some things we want to say about that. But the first thing that just strikes me when I read that is we are not a cult. And that's what separates us from cults. Cults are different because cults have a head, not Christ, but it is the personality of the one who starts the cult. And what's different, what verse 14 says, that a true church uh, consists of not one member but many members. And, of course, he'll expand on that, that we all have different gifts and we all are different in many ways. In a cult, the, everybody tries to be, and it's almost demanded many times, to be just like the one who founded the cult. So there's there might be many people in the group, in the cult, but they are not to be different. They are to be the same. And, and that's that marks a cult, right? But a church, a good, healthy church, understands that we're all different, that we all love the Lord Jesus Christ. There's, that's not to say that we don't have the Holy Spirit and we all are doing the same thing, right? Uh, but, we, we, but we're different. We have different uh, abilities, different ways to help. We, we can't all preach. We can't all sing. Uh, we can't all teach Sunday school class, uh, deal with uh, you know, children in Sunday school class. We have different gifts, and that's good. And so we, we have to understand both of those things. And so Paul does it by giving us probably one of the most simplistic uh, examples that he could, uh, the way to illustrate this that he could, the body, the human body that has one head but many members all composed, all working together together to serve the head, right? And so this illustration is not difficult to understand. Our problem is that it's difficult to obey. It's difficult to think that way when we come together, to think that way when I look out and see one another, and to think that way when uh, it comes to how I interact with each other. So that's what we want to deal with this week and next week. I'm not going to try to explain the illustration as such because it's obvious, but how it, uh, what Paul's point in using it for the local church. And a God in his wisdom has put us together to work together to accomplish things and not just to sit idly by. And the Corinthian church, like many churches today, was divided where it should have been unified and tried to be uniform when it should have been diverse. And uh, that's the problem, and, and uh, that's what we'll see here in just a moment. You'll see there's two sections that we want to look at, two different ways of thinking, two different errors that Paul is trying to correct. The Corinthian church divided over leadership, remember that back earlier in the book, where they should have been unified. The, the, the leaders were there to lead them to Christ, and they were not focused on Christ, but on the specific talents or personalities of the leader. and so. 
I like this guy's preaching more than that guy, or I, I he he treats me nice. He he has a smile on his face, whatever it was. And so I like him at the exclusion of somebody else, and they were dividing themselves. And then again, what, what's always the reason? Because it's not about Christ; it's about myself. And so they were dividing over that, and they were seeking honor among themselves. Of course, the overall context of these three chapters are tongues. And those who, because they had tongues, felt themselves to be better than the rest, that they didn't need the rest. Those who didn't speak in tongues uh, felt they didn't have anything to contribute. So there was division like that. They were seeking honor to honor themselves rather than Christ. And so they were going in different directions that way. We saw, of course, that in chapter 11. But on the other hand, uh, they were all trying to have the same gifts instead of embracing their different abilities, which meant that uh, many of them would be doing things different than somebody else. Uh, they all wanted the same thing. So they, they, they wanted unity, but unity to a fault. Not, we don't want to be a cult. We don't want to all be doing, saying the same thing like a bunch of robots. We want to, uh, think, okay, how can I best serve it with my abilities? It's kind of like if we can continue to use the body uh, as an illustration. Uh, you know, I like the golf. Uh, and if you know anything about golfing, you know that the ones who are successful golfers get all, it, it's all about your swing. And it's getting that, your body to move everything properly at the right time so that that club face is per- perfectly uh, where it should be when it hits the ball, right? If you know anything about my swing, you know that there's a lot of different things going on and they don't generally work together too well. And so the ball sometimes goes straight, sometimes it goes wherever it wants to go. And that's the problem. The church is to function together so that, that there's that one focus. Christ is exalted. And, and, and if we're out here trying to exalt ourselves or doing this or doing that, or trying to exalt political parties or, or politics or or social programs, we're going to get confused and we're going to be doing a lot of things, maybe a lot of activity. I mean, I can say one thing about my golf swing. There's a lot of activity. There's no doubt about that. But is it accomplishing what you want it to accomplish? And so in verses 15 through 16, we see these two different errors that he's going to to address here. Starting in verse 15, He speaks of those that because they don't have some of the gifts that others have, they feel they're of no value to the church. Verse 15 says, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Now, just in passing, notice what he says here is that you might not think you have anything to offer, but... Uh, and you might think that, well, I, I'm not really part of the body, but that doesn't change reality, right? The foot is still a part of the body. If you're saved, you're part of the body. You're a member of the body, and you are to function that way. Denying it or getting it all goofed up in the way you uh, interact it doesn't help, but it doesn't change reality. And so then verse 16 And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. So you see what he says there. But in verse 21, he'll begin to speak to those who see no use for those who don't have their gifts. 
So you got those who don't feel they have anything to contribute, and there's variations of that. But then there's those who don't think that it's really, I'm enough. We, we don't need uh, other people. You know, I don't need, or some, and it might come out as we'll see in a moment, I don't need the church. I'm enough. And so you got these two heirs. One, you don't think you are enough, and one, you think you're more than enough. And both of these are problems that we need to be careful of. In both cases, there are sins of envy and selfishness, which will immediately ruin any church. And so that's why uh, chapter 13 is sandwiched right in the middle of Paul's, uh, I think, uh, exposition on the uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because, as we'll see here, if you don't have love figured out, love to God and love to each other, your gifts will just become uh, a way of self-glory and will become useless and church will function as they should be. So in both cases, also they are really saying uh, the same thing in that I don't need the church, the church doesn't need me, and they're saying that God has goofed up. The Lord has not given me any gifts, even though Paul says that's not the case. So you're saying God has not given me gifts, or God has not given me a gift that uh, I, where I can help anybody. It, it always goes back to blaming God. He's messed up. And, and Paul's saying that's not the, that's not the case. Everybody has gifts, and the, plan, the, the there's nothing wrong with a plan, nothing wrong with the local church and how it functions. It's us when there's problems, right? So after repeating that the body is not one member but many members, in verse 14, Paul, Paul goes on to illustrate how this truth can be denied in verses 15 through 17, or how we can uh, forget it and not function right with it. So those in view uh, who view a particular gift as a touchstone of spirituality, right, like like tongues, many, many even today, feel like tongues is really all that matters. They don't go to church to hear a message from God's word. They go to church to have a manifestation of the spirit. And by that, to have an emotional experience, to to have tongues or to have some sort of a a mystic thing happen to to send chills to their body, they don't want to hear uh, the, the the truth of God's word to be built up in the faith, to to have Christ exalted and to be conformed to His image. They want they want to have a they want to have a thrill. And that's I think one of the reasons why. Uh, the, the, Music has become, in, in many cases, kind of taken over the service. Because a lost person can, can understand spiritual truths, but they certainly can understand music and, and, they, and emotion, right? So we don't want to, we don't want to fall into that trap. And so, the, the, if you, view a particular gift as a touchstone of spirituality, you might wrongly con- conclude that because I don't have that gift, I must not have anything to contribute. That's why Paul is listing all the different gifts, or many of the gifts. Said, and, 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 really, and really, when we get into chapter 14, he'll start to drive all this home where he'll make it very clear, for instance, that prophecy, that is the proclamation of God's word, trumps tongues every time because one edifies and one does not. Except at least many times it does not. It just depends on what's going on. And so in, in body part terminology, the foot says 
if I can't be a hand, I'll not consider myself to be part of the body at all. And there's a lot of people like that. I can't, I don't get my way. I, I, I can't do what I want to do. So I just won't be part of the church or I won't really interact with the church. I'll just sit here and do nothing. You know, all the different ways that it can uh, look like. So in other words, you're saying that if I don't speak in tongues, then something's missing. But as I said before, that questions the wisdom of God as if he's made you useless. But we are seeing, and of course we've already talked about in, in this chapter how that there are many diverse gifts. So it's just to set one that above all the others like that already is obviously is not obeying what Paul has been uh, telling us. But we are seeing in these chapters that we are all responsible to the church family because we are spiritually joined to each other. And decrying responsibility or denying responsibility doesn't remove it. In other words, there are a lot of people who say, well, I don't want to get too close to the, to God's people, to the church. I, I want to be free. I, want, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to interact. I, I want to be free to do what I want to do. Well, you can, you can have that independent spirit, but it's not biblical. It doesn't change who you are. You are a part of the body. You're, 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 there, there's no body parts that are separate from the body, right? Because you have that same spirit. And so refusing to function in the body doesn't make us any less part of the body. And if we love Christ, we will embrace who we are and the responsibility and privileges we have. Now, there are some who struggle more with groups, with many people. And I understand that. But if you love Christ... You don't have the attitude, well, I'm shy, I am uh, i can't do this, I know that that's what the Bible says, but, no, it, it's, look, Christ, I, I love you, help me, give me the power, teach me, help, help me to be able to exercise whatever I can, to contribute how I can. Your desire is to do, even though it might be a struggle, and that's okay. Sometimes we struggle. We all have different abilities. So we will embrace those responsibilities, even though sometimes it's difficult. And and I'm no stranger to, you know, we have times of where we struggle, where we might get depressed, and, and I say depressed not in a clinical sense, but we just we're struggling with something. We don't want to be around people. You ever, you ever got up Sunday morning and said, "I I just don't want to go to church." Well, the the response that, I, that one who loves the Lord is strong in the faith is, I don't, you know, my body doesn't want to do this. I know there's something going on in my mind. It's not good. But I'm going to obey the Lord anyway. I'm going to go and get go to a place where I get some help and let the Lord take care of all that. You're, you're not going to uh, use that as an excuse not to obey Him. And again, I've been preaching for about... Uh, Pastoring for almost 30 years now, and I am convinced after years of watching the way things transpire in the local church and, and with all these things, that many of our problems are a result of isolation and selfishness and not looking how to minister to other people. Many of the problems I see Christians struggle with are because they have, they are focused entirely upon themselves and they'll sit at home and they'll, they'll remove themselves from any means of help instead of, of, of engaging 
the body and looking for help and getting their eyes focused on others and service rather than themselves. I remember a woman in New York, she went into a, a, a period of depression where, uh, and, and, and she had good reason to be, there was, she was going through some real battles, so it's not like she just all of a sudden was depressed. She had some, she had some battles that all of us are struggling with. But what she did was instead of being in church and being involved, she sat at home for about a year and never left the house. Well, it wasn't good. And I've seen that so many times in so many ways. Maybe not always to that degree. But I can guarantee you in a majority of cases that those who are the least satisfied with church or who don't feel they get much out of it or don't really contribute to it are the ones who spend the least amount of time in the church so often. They're not good hearers. They don't spend time with with members in the church. And I think that's true of, of this church or any sound church. It's obvious that the ones who put forth the greatest efforts are the ones who are most satisfied and fed. And I've seen that no matter what church I've been in, whether I was a pastor or not, the ones who are the most content with the preaching, and and, you know, that's a little self-serving, but I, I think it's the truth to some degree, are the ones who pray for the preacher during the week, who who pray for the preacher a Sunday morning and for the services and for each other. They're, they're praying for these things. They care about these things. They're looking for ways to be part of it. Not the ones who just sit back and say, well, I hope that the message will be better than it was last week, you know, and you just got that attitude because you've forgotten that this is about Jesus. It's about uh, exalting Him. It's about growing in the Lord. It, and serving one another. Another thing we need to be aware of is that it is many times through afflictions and sufferings that we're going to be able to use our gifts anyway. I, I think that we, we get so, it's so easy to get focused on maybe the, some of the big gifts, of, or the big teaching, singing, and I say big gifts, the ones that are, everybody sees. That we forget that I, I think the, 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 the primary, most of the gifts in the New Testament are gifts of service and giving and helping and edifying. They're, they're not like listed in great detail, but, but those are the ones that we need. And that the, the gifts that are going to be the most edifying and encouraging are going to come as people see us suffer and, and struggle with this or that. And yet, uh, seek to edify as well. So, so I have an opportunity to serve you, but it's going to be in my suffering. You're, you're going to see me uh, struggle, and yet Christ is going to be sufficient, and and you're going to in turn be encouraged. Or, and I'm going to see you struggle, and I'm going to go to you, and I'm going to put my arm around you if you let me, you know, figuratively speaking, anyway. And I, and I'm going to say, look, what can we do? Here, here's maybe maybe a case where here's what the Bible says. Here, here's what Christ says. Here's what we need to remember. Whatever. What do you need? But see, it's all it, pain and suffering and trials and tribulation are the instigator of it in one way or another, right? And and that's we get so caught up in you know as a church will you know get a new member and say okay now we want to 
uh, what are your gifts? And we're trying to find a way for you to use your gifts. And I'm not saying that's always wrong. But you put your focus on the neat gifts, perhaps. Can you teach a Sunday school class? Can you sing for us? Can you join the praise team? Whatever. Um, maybe we just need people who are so given over the Christ and, and, and love. The, the, the love of God has been so shed abroad in their hearts that they're looking for ways to engage, to be a help. And, and when they struggle, when they're, when they got problems, they don't run from the church, that they, they stay in church, and they stay faithful, and they let people see that yes, what the Bible says about the power of the Holy Spirit is true. I can thrive even in under adversity. Because what happens when you, when you run off and, and your depression is that you're showing that no, you, Christ isn't helping you at all in your diversity or in your uh, suffering, in your adversity. You're, you can't do anything. And again, it's, it, sometimes we, we don't react all that well. I understand. I'm not saying we've got to be perfect, but, but we're, we're willing to, to be engaged. We're willing to be corrected and, and, and to do these things because we're in this together. And, and that's why I love to have the, 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 the once a month times of praise or uh, every quarter where we praise because listen, it reminds me that as I see that the Lord is taking care of you and, and, and how he's helping you get through these things. And I, and I am encouraged. And so verses 18 through 19, he sums up, I think, the first point up to this, up to this point. He says, but as it is, verse 18, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, there would, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And again, the underlying point is that we're not all going to look alike and, and, and have the same abilities and, and the same personalities and, and the same level of spirituality. That's all, that's all, nothing wrong with that, as long as we're doing our best for the Lord and growing. And the most important thing I think he's saying here is that God has made you like you are. He has allowed you to be where you are. Even sometimes you say, you know, you may be going through a, a real dark period and it might be your fault. You've done something and you've gotten yourself in a big mess. But the Lord has let, allowed that to happen. And he didn't allow that to happen so that you could just give up or fall back into sin or, or just, you know, Whatever, he did that so that you could uh, grow in that and be an example to others and use that to be an encouragement to others, perhaps, when they go through a similar situation. So God has put you where you are. He's allowed you to be where you are in that particular situation. And so to complain and withdrawal is to question publicly the goodness and wisdom of the Lord. And that's, that's what's so discouraging when, when a member just Runs off and, and and sits at home and I I just I just can't do it and, that, and that's why you need the church to come around you and so if you're in a severe trial the place to find help is the, the church if you've been run through the winger the ringer the place to find application is not just to be served by the church but also to, to minister to the church. Look what, look what I've gone through and look how the Lord has helped me and I want to be able to, you know, maybe write a book or, or to preach a sermon or to, 
to have a lesson to maybe have someone over your house and and, and let them t- testify about what how God brought me through these things. So no one is useless, no matter how deep into affliction you are. How, how maybe you're struggling mightily with some sin. You can be useful. You use your time. You, you, your use at times might be to allow others to to see what you're going through and to use their gifts to help you. It works both ways. You say, well, are you reading too much into it? I don't think so, because I think that's Paul's point. So on a similar vein, when one goes through a trial, you have great the greatest opportunity to edify the other members as they see the Lord sustain you. I mean, there's different ways that gifts can be used, but when you are doing well, when everything's going your way, you know, you know let's face it, that's what we, we all want that in the flesh. We don't want to struggle. But when you're, when, when everything's going uh, well for you, it's hard for you to encourage anybody else when you're not going through anything, right? But when you have gone through things and you've come out the other side, now you, now you have a way to encourage, a more effective way. We could say. I've seen a few that react to suffering by, as I said, dropping out of attendance, among other things. And what they do is they ruin their opportunity to serve and to stifle the the body's ability to use their gifts to help you. You know, leaving uh, doesn't help anything. And so I think that speaks to being aloof from the body. A Christian who does not minister is a contradiction, right? Because we are to be great in the kingdom, you have to be a servant. That's why God saves us and puts us together. So a non-serving Christian is an oxymoron. But think about it for a moment. We all have gifts to help the body function for the glory of the head. And so we are to be involved. And you better not fall back in the fact, well... You know, I my gift of, of in the church is I I throw a few bucks in the church. You know, the plate comes by, and so I do my part. No, everybody does that. And maybe you have a gift to put more in than somebody else, and that's all wonderful. But I'm talking about engaging with people and helping. You know, sacrificing. It's a disobedience not to use your gifts. And so, can the arm have its own will and its own goals in life and have nothing? Or little to do with the rest of the body. It makes no sense. It's a contradiction. In reality, it can't happen. Now, of course, we know that that's where the illustration will break down because there are certainly members of the body in the local church that can, in a sense, separate themselves from the church. But that's, you understand the difference there. It makes no sense in the physical realm, and it makes no sense in the church because it only harms the church. In other words, if you cut off the arm from the body, its arm dies. And in a sense, if you are not involved in the local church and under the ministry of the word of God, you will suffer spiritually in some way. So what often happens is that when a foot decides it doesn't want to help, then a hand has to fill in the gap. And you can substitute whatever body part you want to, right? But we've all had, you know, you have a, you, you, you sprain your ankle, now all of a sudden the other foot's got to bear the, most of the weight. You hurt your arm, and now you got to try to do all your work with one arm, and, and it becomes difficult, and not as much gets done. And there's pain involved, right? 
Now, that's all Paul's saying here. I mean, he doesn't go into all that detail, because I think that's obvious. Once you use that illustration, you can start coming up with all sorts of ways this works. So just because there are those who will and can fill in the gaps because others refuse to really help, uh, doesn't mean that that's the right way it should be. The body is still weakened. And we know that we're the worst for it. Though we continue on, uh, the church can function. We know that when there are those who say, you know what, I want to just watch, but I don't want to be involved in anything, how can we not all be weakened to some degree? We're losing that uh, amount of service, that amount of influence. The only way the church can function properly is using the Spirit's gifts in with the Spirit's power as it should for the purpose uh, that God would have. And so in verses 20 through 21, we kind of see the other side of these of this thing, as we've already explained. Verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So he kind of repeats it again, but now he moves on to another application. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. So you see the change here. In the first case, I have no uh, usefulness. The body doesn't need me. Now we've got someone who, because they have uh, some flashy gifts, say, I have no need of you. You're really not that important in the church. Nor again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Even the head understands that uh, without the feet, uh, he can't go anywhere, right? Can't, if without the arms, you can't do anything, so forth. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now, we'll get into more of that, Lord willing, next week. But here we see the other side of this. One might disengage himself from church because he doesn't feel that he has any use for the church. Or he's just lazy, he doesn't really care that much. The mother might do it because he doesn't feel any real need of the church. Uh, you know, I, you know I, I see a lot of men do this. I'm, I'm the head of my home, and I'm the, I'm the pastor, That's, and they all really need is me. They don't need another pastor. They don't need another teacher. They don't, that's, I'm all they need. And I've seen, I've seen that more often than I care to even uh, talk about. And, of course, it doesn't have to just be the man, but anybody can, can fall into that trap, no matter how co- contrary to Scripture it is. And, and, and part of it is because we've all been raised with American individualism. And I've actually, and, you know, when I wrote this sermon, even since I've written this sermon, I've, I've read other men who have uh, used, said the same thing, that part of the problem in American church is we're rugged individual Americans. And, and we've been trained that we don't need anybody else. And I'll take care of myself. <coughs> we think somehow that's what being a Christian is. <laughs> now, it's perhaps, that might not be as prevalent today since socialism is so grabbed hold of our uh, c- culture that people want to be dependent upon others. But that's another issue we won't get into. Um, but today, many have been bred, especially in America, with this idea that I really don't need anybody and to be dependent upon anybody is a sign of weakness. And so they purposely think that any type of dependence is 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 bad, is sinful. I'm not. I'm a man, and so I don't need anybody else. And that's just not a biblical 
um, teaching. It's not a biblical principle. Now, it's one thing to like challenges, to, to want to do things the hard way. I've, I've known several men uh, in my years that it's like they just want to do things the most difficult way that they that is possible. And, you know, they like it. They like the challenge. And, you know, I don't have a problem with that as such. That's one thing. Um, um, it's, 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 they don't want to take the easy way out. They want to earn their own way. And some of that's commendable. Again, we are to want to, certainly economically, I don't want to be dependent upon somebody else. I want to do my job. I want to be paid for my work. I don't want charity. Now, I understand, though, it happens. Some of those things happen from time to time, and that's all well and good. But there's nothing wrong with wanting to uh, be self-sufficient in, in a proper way. But that's not what we're talking about. Part of our sin nature is that we don't want to be responsible for anybody else or accountable to anybody else. And that's where, we're, that's where the problem is, especially accountability. I don't want anybody looking over my shoulder. I don't want, I want to be able to do what I want to do, and I don't want to uh, be held accountable. That's where the problem is, is that you're, you've been given a life to do what you want to do. You've been given a life to serve the Lord, and to have, a, and we all need a certain amount of accountability. Remember what Cain said, how he revealed his heart when he told the Lord, am I my brother's keeper? And, and that was not a good thing for him to say. I think the Lord was basically, the, the idea there is that yes, Cain, you do have some responsibility to your brother, and killing him was not the right way to react. I have a responsibility uh, in accountability and to do other do good for uh, to others. Now, I hope none of us have dared to tell God that I don't want to be held accountable to the local church, and I don't want to feel any responsibility to other Christians. But we see it. Today, not just in the lack of church support, but in how so, uh, so many refuse to, for instance, not just commit to the church, but commit to marriage and their children. Yeah, that's why a lot of people don't get married. I want to play in the field. Uh, I don't want to be held, you know, the, the ball and chain illustration. That's exactly what this is. I want to do what I want to do. And if someone's going to drag me down, if I've got to be held accountable... If I've got a wife who's nagging me, and we talked about this at the men's meeting, I think last time, if I remember, at least I know I said it, it's good for us men to have wives to hold us accountable. We need that. We need, and we need, you know, hold, hold our wives too. We need people watching us. See, I know I need it. This is a good thing. But it couldn't be any clearer that this is the epitome of selfishness. As well as arrogance, because to think that you don't need help in this life is just misguided and foolishness anyway. We need accountability. We need to have a sense in which there are others who need us and we need them. And I don't mean this in a judgmental way. No one is interested in us. You know, there certainly have been elders of churches that have parked themselves in people's homes and watched every move they make. And I don't think that's good. I don't, I don't think that's helping them spiritually. They're doing, trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the obvious things in scripture that we need to be encouraged on. We need to have a sense in which others need us and we need them. 
one of the results of not getting married and having children is just loneliness. You know, you think, well, I, I'm my own man. I don't need anybody else. Well, right, but then that means nobody else needs you, and, that, and you're going to die a lonely person, right? Because you're not doing things God's way. You're not living in the community that God has placed you in, and that applies whether to church or the family. But I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but many disdain the thought of responsibility to others the philosophy that we are basically self-sufficient and do not need anyone else is uh, often Satan's philosophy. And it's the opposite of God's plan for us. Again, nothing wrong with being independent to a degree, to being able to function without somebody always, you know, beating you over the head or something like that. But we're talking about under, not, not realizing that I need God and I need uh, his people. There is a poem here, I put it on the screen, called Invictus. Anybody, when I say Invictus, you know what I'm talking about? And it's written by a, you know, a typical Victorian stoic, you know, that just stepped up from the, he was going through some difficult times. His name was uh, William Ernest Finley. And uh, he had a leg removed because of, uh, I think, a result of uh, some of the, uh, and they were about to do another one until they found another doctor who was able to save it. But then, while he's going through just very dark times, he writes this poem to show how he was getting through um, all this. And it's called Invictus. Invictus. Out of the night, now just think about this, just think about this as for some reason. Out of the night, whatever there might be, looms with that horror of the shade. Death's looming, but I'm going to continue on anyway. Now, no one will deny that the human will and determination can do some amazing things in this life. It'll at least get you through outward success. But that doesn't mean you've served the Lord anyway. See, he maybe had, he was able to deal with his problems, 
and get through life. But he didn't do so by being obedient to the Lord and by giving God all the glory and thankfulness. And so his life accomplished nothing. Human determination, independence, I don't need anybody else, isn't going to bring any glory to the Lord. Do any of us think that as long as I feed my family, I've done my duty? Not hardly, because the Bible tells us that man should not live by bread alone. If I don't lead my family to Christ, I haven't done anything. We should. And so this poem is the epitome of unbiblical atheistic thinking, because he will take care of himself. But it's not, he wouldn't make a very good churchman. Because he doesn't need you, and uh, I take care of myself, right? So we're just about done here. Sometimes this attitude comes because our sufficiency is in Christ alone, and ultimately he is our strength, and so we assume then I don't need anybody else. See, there's a little twist on it. Because I have Christ, because I know my name's written in the last book of life, I don't need the church. It's just Christ in me, and that causes just as much problems as the other ones. Because <clears throat> I don't need somebody else. And that's that's where we reverted to our hyper-Calvinism. And it denies the point of the text. God uses means. He, get, he gave us a local church to be a help to us, for a place for us to serve, much like the, the physical family. Most of us are saved because someone told us of Jesus. Even Jesus didn't live independently while he was here on earth. He was supported by others. He built his ministry around others. He he called out uh, 12 disciples uh, to start the church and to use them to start the church on earth. He didn't just say, presto, abracadabra, there's a church. No, he used uh, the, the means others in his ministry. Consider Paul's ministry. Independence is just not found in anything that he uh, refers to as godly. The very nature of God are three persons living in a complete harmony with one another. That is the very nature of God, interdependence in a sense. Not be, not uh, um, being independent. And this doesn't mean that Paul wasn't strong in the Lord and willing to go his own way. Again, nothing wrong with being determined to serve the Lord if it means I have to separate from somebody. But just notice here, and with this we'll be finished. Notice a couple of verses that he talks about the, the churches. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I mean, that's, that's a perfect example of the need of the local church. Second uh, Corinthians eleven twenty eight, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. The, the churches and the care of the churches was part, one of the biggest parts of Paul's ministry. And this is the heart of a humble man who cares for others, not just one who wants to be alone, live for himself. Paul was not like that. Jesus was not like that. There is no such thing as a solitary Christian who is in God's will. So which are we? Are we a taker but not a giver? Do I uh, just feel like uh, I, I just want to take stuff that I don't want to engage and, and give of myself and my talents and my gifts? 
Is it because you don't think God has given you a gift? This passage says differently. If you think you don't need others and their gifts, this passage uh, tells us differently. And so, as we go through this passage, keep it in mind that the, the overall context of gifts and how to serve each other, I think Paul just kind of knocks all the props out and says, look, you're part of a body, uh, you're independent upon other people, they need you, you need them, no sense fighting it, embrace it, uh, get off your high horse, let's let loose of our pride, that people see that we're weak, that we don't have it all together all the time, uh, that's okay. And if they think less of you, that's their problem. Because we all need help. We all need encouragement. None of us can do everything by ourselves. And that's a good thing. And that's why God has given us the church, among other things. But All right, we'll stop there today. Any questions or comments before we close?